This is the Nordic Asia podcast. Welcome to the Nordic Asia podcast, co-hosted by the Nordic Institute of Asian Studies in Copenhagen and the Center for East Asian Studies at the University of Turku. I'm Andreas Boy Forsby, postdoc researcher at the Nordic Institute of Asian Studies, NIAS, where I primarily focus on Chinese foreign and security policy. I'm joined today by Björn Jadin from the Swedish Institute of International Affairs, or Udrikes Politiska Institutet, UE. Björn is a research fellow and head of the Asia program at UE, where he primarily focuses on the international relations of China, Japan, and the United States. But he is also one of the most knowledgeable and widely used media experts on Sweden-China relations, our topic today. Let me briefly, as a service announcement, tell our listeners that this Nordic Asia podcast series already contains an episode on Denmark-China relations and another one on Norway-China relations. I think a good place to start is by making the observation that, in a broader Nordic comparative context, current bilateral relations between Sweden and China are the poorest we have seen in many years. I guess one of the strongest indicators is the role played by the Chinese embassy in Sweden. The Chinese ambassadors to Sweden has conducted what you, uh, Bjorn, have described as a propaganda campaign against journalists, scholars, and NGO activists in Sweden. And a recent public survey by the Pew Research Center found that no less than 70% of Swedes have an unfavorable view of China, with only the Japanese being more critical of China. So Bjorn, thanks for joining us today. How would you characterize relations between Sweden and the People's Republic of China right now? And how far back in history would you take us to find a comparable low point of bilateral relations? Uh, right. Uh, thank you so much, Andreas. I'm very happy to speak to you. Uh, and as you mentioned, um, Sweden-China relations have a low point uh, at the current moment. Uh, if we go further back in time, Sweden used to have quite good stable relations with China. For example, Sweden was the first uh, non-communist European country to establish diplomatic relations with the People's Republic uh, after its founding uh, already in 1950. And that means that this year we are celebrating 70 years of diplomatic relations between Sweden and China. However, Due to the current state of the relations, not, there are not that many uh, loud celebrations going on. Um, if we go back in time, we can see some other low points. For example, after the um, massacre on Tiananmen Square in 1989, Sweden, uh, as other countries, implemented sanctions against China. But since the 1990s, I think bilateral relations have generally been quite good uh, and stable. If you compare Sweden with uh, Norway and Denmark also, for that matter, we didn't really experience uh, the kind of uh, open uh, disagreements as Copenhagen and Oslo uh, did in the last few decades. Uh, however, this all changed in 2015 when a Swedish citizen who, who was working as a bookseller in Hong Kong uh, named Gui Min Hai uh, was kidnapped um, while uh, spending time in Thailand, and he was later detained in China. Uh, and I think that sort of was the start of the worsening uh, relations between Sweden and China that, that we've seen in the last few years. Yeah, and just to follow up on that, I mean, so this case has really been a, a state and center of uh, Sweden-China relations in recent years. Um, but I, 
also want to ask you if you consider the Greenman High case to be a symptom or rather a driver of the current crisis. I mean, you did mention this preceded the, the current crisis, but is it actually the cause of the this poor relationship or how do you see it? That's actually a very good question. And it's difficult, I think, to give a definite answer. So Sweden is not the only country uh, that has experienced change in views on uh, how the outside world should relate to China. We've seen it in the United States, most obviously, but also in countries such as Australia uh, and in Europe also, for that matter. So I think part of what has happened between Sweden and China sort of follow a general trend of uh, perhaps more open disagreements between China and Western countries. Uh, however, I think uh, the Guaymin High case has been a, a trigger in Sweden also for a broader rethink on the relations. Um, and also this uh, very active propaganda of public relations campaign from the Chinese side against Sweden, which now has been going on for around two years, it, it further elevated the China issue on uh, the public agenda in Sweden. So uh, mass media are, are reporting more about China. They are reporting more negative angles about China. Uh, and, and this is also reflected in public opinion, as you mentioned earlier, that, that Swedes today, it seems, have the most unfavorable views of China in, in all of Europe. Um, but but uh, to summarize, perhaps, I don't think uh, what we have seen in the last few years, it's only about the Greenman High case. I think in some sense, it's also a symptom of wider issues. But I think still it's pretty clear that it had a, a direct effect on Swedish views on China uh, and indirectly China's position against Sweden, and uh, which has led to a, a poorer bilateral relationship. Hmm. Okay. So um, one other thing I'm curious about, I mean, have economic relations between Sweden and China been negatively affected by the political crisis so far? Last year, I remember, I remember you at a NIAS seminar, actually, described mm -hmm. Sweden-China relations as cold politics, hot economics. Mm. Is this uh, still an apt description of the relationship today? So, so I, I got that description actually from uh, studying Japan-China relations and, and Japan uh, has been actively pursuing economic relations with China since the 1970s. Still, since at least the 1990s, we've seen a lot of tension in the bilateral relationship. Uh, and that was later described both in uh, Japan as in China as, as uh, hot economic cold politics. And that means that uh, even though the diplomatic and political relationship at the moment were very poor, uh, economic activity between the countries still surged. And if we look at Sweden's experiences in the last few years, I think that is a pretty apt description. Uh, bilateral trade figures have, have grown. Of course, now we have the pandemic, so, so that has affected things. But Swedish exports to China has continued to grow. Uh, Chinese direct investments in Sweden has also been surging, both 2018 and 2019. Sweden has been one of the uh, top uh, targets for Chinese investments in the whole of Europe, 
in absolute numbers, although Sweden is not one of the biggest economies in Europe. So, so there's a big interest also from Chinese investors, obviously, to, to um, uh, invest in Sweden. Um, there has been some reporting that uh, Swedish business people in China have experienced some difficulties related to the poor state of the diplomatic relationship, also on the Swedish side. Uh, the the uh, uh, perception that China is pressuring Sweden in a different way has sort of uh, contributed to a more lively discussion about implementing new legislation on uh, investment screening. Uh, so in that sense, it had an effect potentially on economic relations. But, but if we look at actual figures, at least until 2019, it doesn't seem that it had a big negative impact and we can compare to Norway, for example, uh, who, uh, after Liu Xiaobo got the Nobel Peace Prize in, in 2010, uh, Norway was put in the freezer by China for, for six years. And that had an effect on some sectors of uh, economics exchange, such as Norwegian salmon exports to China. But in Sweden, we didn't see those kind of targeted unofficial sanctions so far, at least uh, as I'm aware. Okay, and uh, since you also brought up uh, Chinese investments in Sweden, I'm interested in knowing more about how the Swedish perceive uh, the recent years growing Chinese investments uh, in Sweden uh, mm. as opportunities or risk. I mean, you already hinted at uh, the the introduction of um, a, a screening uh, investment screening mechanism uh, that would monitor foreign investments more carefully. Uh, yeah. And I think this is an initiative that is, of course, largely targeted at China. We have seen something along similar lines in Denmark as the Danish government is preparing a, a similar screening mechanism. Uh, mm -hmm. And the EU has, of course, also introduced uh, its a mechanism of its own. So um, is this all uh, a reflection of uh, changing perceptions that the Chinese investments in Sweden will uh, henceforth be uh, perceived as risks rather than opportunities uh, in your view? Well, I think we've seen quite a big change in Sweden in the last few years regarding how Chinese investments are viewed. Uh, so already 10 years ago in 2010, uh, George Ang bought Volvo cars, the biggest Swedish car maker. And at that time, it was a lot of discussion about whether they would move production out of Sweden and so on. Uh, but I think the consensus that emerged in the year after that was that Gile is uh, prepared to, to continue to invest in Swedish facilities for production and, and research and development. So I think that sort of changed views a bit uh, regarding Chinese investments. Uh, but then in the last few years, we've seen uh, more skeptical views about Chinese investments. And, and I think there are a few reasons behind that. One, of course, is developments at the EU level with new guidelines from the EU Commission regarding Chinese investments. So of course, that has sort of spurred uh, the Swedish debate as well. Uh, but I think a general skepticism about uh, Chinese investments uh, ha has also grown independently from that. And I think that also relate to a more general negative view of 
China. Uh, China has becoming more of a political issue. Some parties in the parliament are sort of uh, pursuing um, a harder approach to Beijing in different issue areas, including investments. Um, and the Swedish government has also changed its position. If we look back a few years, Sweden was generally perceived in the EU as one of the countries uh, most willing to to uh, advocate principles of free trade and and criticizing any attempt that could be seen as uh, encouraging protectionism, and, and that also applied then to the issue of investment screening. And the Swedish government took a very skeptical line against that, uh, but they have changed in 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 the last few years. So now the uh, the parliament has decided to to go ahead and implement new legislation. Uh, so, looking back a few years, we see we seen a clear shift in Sweden's position on this issue. But then the question is, would this make any big difference? Um, and uh, there was a study out, uh, I think, in the end of last year, by the Swedish Defense Research Agency, who tracked down a lot of Chinese investments. And when I listen to, to experts on these issues, I think even with an investment screening mechanism, very few of those investments would have been stopped. Okay, that's interesting. If we uh, move beyond the economics, I'm curious about what other areas of corporations have been negatively affected by the current meltdown of the Sweden-China relations. Um, I recently learned that the last remaining Confucius Institute in Sweden, or rather it was, it's actually a Confucius classroom at Falkenberg High School, yeah, yeah. that it has been terminated. Uh, right. Would you consider that to be a direct casualty or perhaps rather, so to speak, collateral damage of the current political crisis between the two governments? Well, I, I think partly. However, the issue of Confucius Institute is more complicated than that in the Swedish context. So, Actually, the first Confucius Institute in Europe started 2005 in Stockholm, at Stockholm University. Um, in the years after that, we saw a discussion in Sweden whether it was a good idea to allow these institutes at Swedish institutions. But the number of more institutes started. So I think all in all, we had four Confucius Institute at universities and four Confucius classrooms at, at high schools. Uh, but then... Uh, was it 2015 or 2016? I think it was 2015. Then, then uh, Stockholm University took the decision to close down the Confucius Institute there. And then a number of other universities followed suit. However, this was actually before the real downturn in the diplomatic relationship between Sweden and China. This was before the Guimenhai issue became a, a big case, a big issue of disagreement in the bilateral relationship. So, so this happened at a time where we still had pretty good stable relations between Sweden and China. Uh, however, some of these institutes and classrooms remained. And in Sweden, high schools are a mu municipal competence. So uh, uh, local uh, elected politicians decide over local high schools and also uh, uh, these uh, cooperation agreements with Hanban about Confucius classrooms. So in the last two years or so, I think sort of the more negative image of China uh, sort of spilled over into these local uh, debates 
And I think it might have contributed to these last decisions to close down the Confucius classrooms. So that is one area I would say where we had seen a negative consequence when it comes to bilateral cooperation that is partly caused by, by this disagreement between the two national governments. Okay, let's uh, shift gears a bit now and talk about some of the things that foster cooperation between the two countries. Mm. I wonder in what ways you see, uh, or sorry, that China sees Sweden as an attractive partner. And I would also be curious to hear something about the areas where Sweden finds China to be an attractive partner these days. Mm. I guess the reason uh, China's strategy put forward by the Swedish government makes some uh, relevant observations in this regard, or is it almost uh, already kind of outdated? I mean, it was uh, published uh, last year, but things have been moving so quickly since then. So how do you see these uh, things? Well, well, I I think sort of the general picture from that uh, strategy document, which was published last fall, I I think it's still valid. and, and obviously one area is economic cooperation. And we talked about that already, about bilateral trade and investment. There's obviously an interest there from both sides. Um, also, when it comes to uh, cooperation between uh, research and higher education, uh, we're actually seeing a trend with, with even more cooperation. Uh, so. Yes, the Confucius Institutes have closed down at Swedish universities. However, Swedish uh, university leaderships and individual researchers are cooperating more and more with China. And they are very clear data on that. We're seeing more co-written publications and so on. Uh, so, 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 So that is also one area so far where we didn't see any negative effects from the bilateral downturn on actual local cooperation. Um, But then we also have these kind of um, uh, local government cooperation, what what we sometimes call twinning relationship or sister city relationship. Uh, uh, And it has been negatively affected. And uh, traditionally, Swedish municipalities and regions have been uh, one of the more active in Europe when it comes to cooperating directly with China. We've seen a lot of sister city agreements and so on. But in the last two years or so, a lot of Swedish uh, partners have, have decided to end their agreements with the Chinese side, citing the worsening human rights situation in China and also China's behavior against uh, Sweden. Um, if we talk about the central government level, I think one area uh, in which Sweden has a key necessary interest to continue working together with China is to combat climate change. Uh, this is a, a priority area for, for the current Swedish government and, and they see China as an indispensable uh, partner in uh, achieving multilateral solutions, although they are also criticizing uh, aspects uh, of, of Chinese polities that have a negative effect on uh, climate change. Okay, um, so I also want to touch upon a topic that has been grabbing uh, headlines in international media over the past couple of years, uh, mm. Huawei, the Chinese tech giant, um, which is uh, 
seeing itself as a prominent player in the rollout of 5G technology in Europe and also in Sweden. I guess at least they had aspirations uh, in that direction. I mean, in Denmark, Mm -hmm. we've seen both the former Danish defense minister and the head of defense intelligence agency convey Mm -hmm. public warnings against granting Huawei a role in Denmark's critical digital infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Uh, in order to put pressure on on private Danish uh, mobile network operators, so I'm I'm yeah. I'm curious about how the Swedish government has uh, handled this issue. Um, yeah, obviously Sweden also had a discussion about this, and uh, the result was uh, legislation which was introduced. I think it was earlier this year. Uh, according to which both the Swedish Security Service and uh, the Swedish Armed Forces will uh, be able to have a say about potential negative uh, implication for Sweden's national security in the new 5G networks. Um, And I think the auctions will start this summer and then be decided sometime in the fall. Uh, And I think then the different providers uh, will have to, they will have to be able to show that there are no uh, potential negative uh, security effects uh, incorporated in their networks. Exactly how this will Hmm. apply to um, participation of Huawei, for example, when it comes to contributing with technology, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, but also the Swedish security service have previously pointed out consequences of China's new security law, which requires Chinese individuals and organizations to cooperate with uh, uh, Chinese security services. Um, so, um, uh, I don't know actually whether whether or not uh, the the main providers in Sweden will will include prominent roles for Huawei technology in these auctions. Um, but but I, I think the basic Swedish discussion has has been following international trends. However, um, top decision makers, as far as I'm aware, they didn't explicitly comment on uh, including Huawei technology in these networks. I haven't seen any any public comments on that. And of course, this is a topic that is also very much on the Trump administration's uh, agenda. Um, mm-hmm. and, all, and this uh, leads us to the burgeoning great power rivalry between the US and China. So in Denmark, we have seen the Trump administration intervene, as I alluded to before, uh, several times over the past few years to warn Denmark about collaborating with China in areas of strategic interest to Washington, notably with respect to potential Chinese investments in Greenland. So I wonder to what extent the U.S. has put any public pressure on on the Swedish government to accommodate U.S. interests and this might be in regard to Huawei. It might also be in regard to the Belt and Road initiatives, or there might be other Swedish uh, areas um, that that uh, have seen the U.S. government trying to intervene to uh, to uh, maybe pressure the Swedish government to distance itself more actively from from Beijing. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you see these things? Uh... 
right. I, I certainly think that Washington has an interest in Sweden as it has in other EU countries, making sure uh, they keep a uh, safe distance to Beijing. Um, if we start with, with the 5G issue, uh, the Swedish case is a bit special in the sense that one of Huawei's main competitors is a Swedish company, Ericsson. Mm. Um, and uh, representatives of the Trump administration have, have um, emphasized Ericsson's role in uh, uh, free and open information uh, environment and even and even said that Ericsson is part of the free world. And there have also been media reports that uh, President Trump has brought up uh, the issue of Ericsson's participation in the global, global 5G rollout directly with, with the Swedish prime minister. Um, uh, but, but other than that, I haven't seen any open, overt, pressure attempts coming out from Washington. Of course, representatives from the US government in different dialogues and also the diplomatic mission in Sweden uh, is speaking out about uh, risks that they perceive about China's global role. Um, I haven't seen that many, or I can't remember seeing that many connections to what Sweden should do or shouldn't do in occasion to this. Um, the Belt and Road Initiative, for example, I, I don't think they will have to say much because Sweden has been one of the most skeptical countries in the whole of Europe, even since the One Belt, One Road was launched several years ago. So Sweden uh, so far showed a very limited interest in, in participating in this. Um, and also the Swedish government has also uh, mentioned in this uh, strategy document that we that we discussed previously they have mentioned that uh, negative security implications of china's global role is an issue that also should be discussed in a transatlantic dialogue in other words that sweden is willing to talk about these issues with the united states um, so so I, I don't think i've seen any attempts to pressure Sweden as obvious as we saw, for example, with the whole uh, Greenland saga between uh, Denmark and the US. Okay, that's uh, very interesting. I think we should uh, finally turn our attention to some of the issues that currently dominate international media. I think you mm -hmm. here the Hong Kong crisis and the COVID-19 pandemic. So mm -hmm. I'm curious about if the Swedish government has made any recent statements in support of the Hong Kong protests and and how does it uh, position itself with respect to China's role or even responsibility for the corona crisis? Uh, well, if we start with Hong Kong, uh, last Friday, and today is June 5th, we speak about this, last Friday, the EU foreign ministers uh, met for a regular meeting and then Sweden was the only country pushing for uh, sanctions against China uh, in response to the new Hong Kong security law passed wow. by the National People's Congress and that is quite interesting why did Sweden do that as the only country so according to reports uh, this was 
not the government's original intention. However, at a meeting in Stockholm prior to the foreign minister's meeting, uh, the EU committee of the Swedish parliament, uh, they uh, made a decision to, to uh, overrule basically the government position and, and uh, uh, told the uh, foreign minister to, to bring up this issue uh, at the EU level and, and they were able to do that since uh, the Swedish government consists of two parties, the Social Democrats and the Green Party, but they don't, they don't have a majority in the parliament. So they depend on different kind of cooperation agreements. And in this case, obviously they couldn't secure a majority for their position not bringing this issue up. Uh, and this might also be able to explain why Sweden was the only country, since this wasn't the government's original intention. There was no possibility to try to secure support from other member states in pushing this line. Um, when it comes to the pandemic, uh, I, I think that uh, we haven't seen that much bilateral cooperation between Sweden and China compared to some other countries. Of course, there have been uh, statements of support uh, coming both from the Chinese side and from the Swedish side. Uh, initially, Sweden wasn't able to contribute to joint EU efforts to assist China when, when they were struggling with the pandemic due to a lack of surplus med medical equipment in Sweden. Uh, and we haven't seen any so-called mask diplomacy in Sweden, either to the same extent as in other countries. There have been no donations, as I'm aware of, from foreign Chinese government uh, to Sweden during the crisis. Uh, the uh, Chinese ambassador, who is otherwise quite willing to, to criticize aspects of Swedish policy and Swedish statements regarding China, he has been taking a relatively low-key approach, I would say, during the crisis. He has avoided to explicitly criticize Sweden's approach. In an interview recently, he said that he doesn't want to negatively comment on, on uh, Sweden's handling of the crisis. Um, and of course, this is relevant since uh, in the numbers of infected and dead, Sweden stands out from, from an international comparison. Uh, but I seem to remember there was, uh, sorry to interrupt you here, Bjorn, but I seem yeah, to remember yeah. there was a very critical article in Global Times that was trying to lecture Sweden about how, how, to, uh, how to handle the corona crisis uh, right. pandemic. Um, yeah, yeah, no, that, that's absolutely other, correct. Other, other, uh, other parts of the Chinese, uh, maybe it's not the right word here to say government, but are these other... Mm -hmm. Voices of the Chinese government uh, seem to uh, keep on the pressure on, on Sweden, or how do you, did you see that uh, intervention? Right, yeah, that was quite interesting. It happened quite early on in the crisis, perhaps in March, okay. uh, that, that the Global Times, which is ultimately controlled by the Communist Party, they published an editorial criticizing Sweden in very harsh terms and demanding that the international community uh, the international community and the European Union should condemn uh, Sweden for surrendering, surrendering mm. allegedly to, to the virus, right? Uh, so, so, so that happened, uh, but 
uh, some other med- Chinese media have also you know been criticizing Sweden's approach, but media all over the world have, have done that basically. Mm-hmm. So so I think besides that article, I haven't really seen any coordinated attempts to criticize Sweden from Chinese state-owned media uh, and the Chinese foreign ministry. They uh, declined uh, to to comment on the article. They didn't repeat the criticism, uh, and we haven't seen after that either any any attempts from the Chinese official side to follow up on that criticism uh, against Sweden. So um, uh, sort of the the battle of a narrative, so the public relations. Uh, disagreement between Sweden and China. They, they have continued, but uh, uh, they didn't play out that much concerning the COVID crisis as might have been expected, judged from mm-hmm. how the situation looked in, in the last few years. Uh, the Swedish government, though, have, have joined international calls, uh, initially proposed by Australia for an independent Commission uh, that that will uh, uh, investigate the origins and spread of the pandemic. However, Sweden has also emphasized that such an investigation should wait until after the most uh, serious phase of the pandemic is over. And, and the Swedish government has also not, as far as I have seen, explicitly pointing out the need to investigate the potential responsibility of the Chinese government in the origin and spread of the crisis. All right. Uh, I think we managed to cover a lot of ground uh, here today. um, And I think we'll just end here. And you have been listening to the Nordic Asia podcast with me, Andreas Borg-Forsby, and Björn Jadin from the Swedish Institute of International Affairs. Björn, thank you so much for taking the time to tell us about Sweden-China relations. Thanks, Andreas. Pleasure talking to you. You have been listening to the Nordic Asia podcast.